We are winding down our series uh, on encounters with Jesus. Uh, one part of a larger series this year simply called Move. As we look at how God moved people into closer relationships with him, in this case, through their encounters with Jesus Christ. We're coming literally to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. We're going to be looking at today, next Sunday, and the following Sunday, three encounters with three very important people in the Scripture. I hope you brought your Bibles. Did you bring your Bibles? Would you hold them up? Do you have your Bibles this morning? I hope you do. I hope you'll take a pen, a highlighter. I hope you'll take notes, underline, text, and and just help it to be there to remind you, to remind you of just what God is doing through the text in your life. You know, if you turn over to the book of Acts, you have Peter giving his sermon on the day of Pentecost, the, what we sometimes call the first gospel sermon that preaches the entire death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, the gospel was proclaimed by Jesus, but it was in looking forward to what he was going to do at Calvary. Now, Peter's looking back to it. But I want you to notice how he begins this sermon. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves No. And then notice what he says, very importantly. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. I want to call your attention specifically to this phrase, God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Because one of the things you see as Jesus is going to Calvary is that the nation of Israel is rejecting their Messiah. And you may be thinking, how in the world could they do that? And the answer is because it is part of God's redemptive plan. God is taking that which is as evil as it can be and using it to our salvation. Now, I want us to play off of this particular phrase here, God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, as we work through a passage found in Luke chapter 23 prior to Jesus' crucifixion, just prior to it. And so if you want to turn over to your Bibles, we're going to be using two texts. Uh, One's out of Luke, the other's out of Mark, both of them about the same thing. Now, I want to remind you of something. Mark is very likely Peter's gospel. That's what the church fathers said. That Mark wrote down the memoirs of Peter. And it most likely was written first. It's the shortest of our four gospels. The Holy Spirit then inspired both Matthew and Luke to take Peter's gospel, Mark, and expand it. I've said this many times. I think it's helpful to know that. Matthew expanded it for a Jewish audience. Luke expanded his for a Gentile audience, for people like us. And so what they did through the inspiration of the Spirit is that they tailor-made it, adding some things, dropping some things, making it personal to the audience that they were writing to. So we're going to begin with Mark's gospel and then come back to Luke. Now, I want you to notice the way, though, Luke sets up the text we're going to be looking at. But with loud shouts, they. Who are the they here? It's the ones that Peter was talking to. It's the religious leaders. It's the Jewish nation. 
They with loud shouts had demanded that Jesus be crucified. That's what Peter said on the day of Pentecost. And notice, they prevailed. Verse 24, so Pilate decided to grant their demand. Who's Pilate? Pilate's one of the wicked men. He's the one that Luke said, with the help of wicked men. Who's one of those wicked men? It's Pontius Pilate, and we all know that. And so Luke picks up the very thing that Peter says in Acts chapter 2. And so notice the text here, as the soldiers led him away. Now this is where we're going to pick up a very interesting kind of difference between two of the Gospels. Here's Mark's version of it, okay? This is the one that Peter, Peter is basically, excuse me, Luke is basically taking it and he's changing it, some of which he'll leave out. You'll notice some of that here in a moment. Others that he'll add, all for the audience the Holy Spirit is wanting him to write to. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas. Barabbas was in for murder and insurrection. And notice, he had Jesus flogged. Had him scourged. They took Jesus and they beat him merciless. I mean, they beat him and oftentimes people would die from scourgings. They didn't have to be crucified. Jesus survived it, but it would have incredibly weakened him. The soldiers led Jesus into the palace. That's the praetorium. There they scourge him. They called together the whole company of soldiers. And then once he had been beaten until he was unrecognizable, notice they put a purple robe on him. They twisted a crown of thorns and set it on his head. And then they began to call out, Hail, King of the Jews. And more than that, notice again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff. They spit on him. They fell down on their knees and and, and paid homage to him. Of course, all of it as ridicule to the Son of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe, put his own clothes on him. And then, after all of that, they led him out to crucify him. And it's here where we pick up this story. Notice what Mark says. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, was passing by. Now, you have to kind of let this sink in. Who who is this Simon? And where is he from? And why is he here? And more importantly, what does he end up doing? Now, when you look at the text, it's fascinating that, first of all, he's from Cyrene. Cyrene is 800 miles from Jerusalem. All right, now I want you all to think about that. It's in northern Africa. It's near modern-day or in modern-day Libya, near what we would today call Tripoli. And, And Cyrene was a Greek colony. It had been established 500 years earlier, and And during one period of time, the Greek rulers had moved a lot of Jews out of Alexandria. Alexandria was also in North Africa. It was over in Egypt. They had moved literally thousands of Jews over into Cyrene to help populate it and establish it as a Greek colony. These are Greek-speaking Jews. 
And so in North Africa, you've got two large colonies of Jews. Alexandria, probably as many as 100,000 in Jesus' day. And then over in Cyrene, another large city at that time in North Africa. And these Jews were constantly going back and forth to Jerusalem if they could afford it. Some perhaps just one time, others multiple times. But they went so often that if you turn over to Acts 6, there's a special synagogue in Jerusalem. I mean, have you ever gone to church when you're on vacation? You know, and and you try to find a church, you know, that kind of lines up with what we believe. You know, and, 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 and that's what these Jews would have done. These are Greek-speaking Jews. They could have gone into a synagogue in Jerusalem, but if they didn't speak Aramaic, they would have just been sitting there going, yep, not having a clue what was going on. You know. And so there was a special synagogue that had been built, and notice it was Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, and then other Jews from up in Asia. And so that's how many of these Jews would visit Jerusalem. And then I want you to notice in Acts 11, Acts 11, and we oftentimes miss this, when the church is expanding after the persecution that broke out with Stephen's death, some of the Jews from, notice, Cyprus, island in the Mediterranean, and Cyrene from North Africa, they went up to Antioch and began to baptize Gentiles. The great Antioch church. The church that would become the foundation of Paul's missionary journeys. A church that would have preachers like Barnabas and Paul and Peter and Silas. It began with brothers coming from Cyrene. Now, if you haven't done this, you need to stop and ask a question. Wonder who was among this group of Cyrenians. Is it possible that it was someone named Simon? Now, do we know? No. It doesn't tell us. But isn't it odd that Luke would tell a story and then tell another story about Cyrenians helping to start the church in Antioch? Just let that kind of boil in the background, if you would. And so the text tells us a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, was passing by on his way in from the country. Now, what's going on is this Passover. And and Passover is one of the three great festivals of the Jews. In fact, it was the greatest I don't know how many of you have ever thought about what your favorite holiday is. Just out of curiosity, how many of you would pick Thanksgiving as your favorite holiday of all? Wow, I'm kind of disappointed. That's mine. All right, how much Christmas? Okay, Christmas wins hands down. All right. Anybody going for April Fool's Day? All right, nobody. Okay, one or two April Fool's Day. Uh, I, can, I can see that. All right, so, so you've got this very special day of the Jews. It's Passover, and people are flooding into Jerusalem. They wanted to be there, and I, I need you to also see this. Notice what John says about that day. And it was now about noon. This is when Jesus is fixing to be crucified. And it was the same day they were preparing to slay the Passover lambs. Let that sink in. Passover, you offered a lamb. You then took the lamb after it had been slain. You would take it, you would roast it, and your family would eat it in a big meal. All right? This is the same day. Which then begs the question, had Simon traveled all the way from Cyrene with his family to celebrate their first Passover in Jerusalem, the greatest of the Jewish feast? Now, we don't know. We don't know the answer to that question. 
But if there's one thing I've learned from watching The Chosen is that there's always backstory. Backstory that we may not know, but backstory that we can use our imagination to at least think about. And I have to wonder, was this an occasion of where Simon had always wanted to go and see Jerusalem? Maybe his dad had been born in Cyrene. Maybe his granddad. But some point back in time, his family had come from Judea. And, and here he is wanting to go and see the temple, wanting to stand on the Mount of Olives, wanting to walk in the, in the temple courts. And by the way, three and a half years ago, I got to do that. I fulfilled a lifetime dream of mine of making a trip to Israel. And let me tell you, standing there on the Mount of Olives and looking out over the city of Jerusalem, going up the steps that Jesus walked up, walking in the courtyard that Jesus had walked in, it's just absolutely chilling to experience that. And perhaps this is what Simon... And of course, he didn't have all the history that we as Christians do, but he had all the history that the Jews had. And so I can imagine perhaps he had saved money, got his family... I don't know if he went on a boat. I don't know if he traveled by donkey. But somehow they had finally arrived. It would have taken weeks. And here they are in Jerusalem. And he's staying with someone outside the city. But to eat Passover, you ate Passover, if you could, inside the city walls. And so I can picture him coming in from the country so excited, perhaps even with his lamb, fixing to go and sacrifice the lamb, getting ready to do that, getting everything ready in a room that he's rented inside the city. His family's going to finally get to celebrate Passover. And then it happens. As he was passing by on his way in from the country, they forced him to carry the cross. Wrong place, wrong time, or was he? I mean, you have to know that when he saw the crowd coming out, he thought, whoa, something's going on. And then he looked and he saw a man struggling with a cross on his back, and he had to have known, oh, no, no, not an execution, not today. And then when a Roman soldier grabbed him, you know that Simon's going, no, no, no. God was saying, yes, yes, yes. And so he sees Jesus. By the way, when they carried the cross, a lot of times we think they're carrying the entire cross. History tells us that wouldn't have been the case. It would have been the cross beam. It would have been the top beam that you were nailed to. And this would have been very much like it. Here's a picture I found that probably is closer to what actually happened. Jesus would have been carrying this large cross beam. Others depict this. And of course, here's a scene of where you have Jesus and you have Simon carrying the cross together. You'll see here in a moment, that's not what happened. A lot of times people think that's what happened. That's not what happened. But what they did was they grabbed Simon. And I want you to notice what Luke says. Now we're switching over to Luke. Because Luke makes a point that neither Matthew or Mark make. Look at the text very closely. And they put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. So picture the scene. Jesus had been carrying it. He's so weak from his scourging, he collapses. The Roman soldiers grab Simon. They put the crossbeam now on him. Jesus is lifted up. Jesus is now being led to Calvary. And behind him is Simon of Cyrene carrying this cross. 
And so you have to ask yourself a very simple question. What were the odds? I mean, is this coincidence? Happenstance? I mean, is that, is, is that what is going on here? I think we need to go a little bit further. You see, if you go to Luke chapter 9, Luke, the reason I think Luke tells us this part of the story is because of something Jesus had said. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and then notice the language there, and follow me. Follow me. Same thing over in chapter 14. Whoever does not pick up their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. One in a positive, one in the negative. And now here comes Simon of Cyrene as the ultimate example, except for this reality. Should have been Peter. Should have been John or James or Bartholomew, Andrew, Thomas. It should have been one of those disciples who had followed Jesus for three years. But folks, they're nowhere to be found. Instead, it's a man who very likely had never even heard of Jesus. But he'll never be the same after this day. Luke goes on to tell us some fascinating things. As Jesus is walking, as Simon is behind him, some of the women are there, large number. They're crying about Jesus. Jesus says, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves. Weep for your children. And then he goes on to say, listen, the time is going to come. He's talking about the fall of Jerusalem in less than 40 years. He says that time is going to come when you're going to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. You women of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. And you've got to realize that when Jesus said that, the women are behind him. Between him and the women is Simon of Cyrene carrying the cross. What were the odds? Coincidence? Happenstance? not so sure about that. Then he says two other men, both criminals, were also led out to be executed. So now can you picture the scene? Jesus is at the front with the soldiers. Right behind Jesus is Simon with the cross. Right behind Simon with the cross are two other men carrying their crosses. Very likely they had not been scourged. And so they're back behind them. And then you have the big crowds with the women included there. So picture the scene. As Simon is carrying this cross, he's hearing the conversation Jesus is having with the women. He's looking back. He's seeing these two other thieves who, who of course, you've got to wonder if he's thinking, do they think I'm a robber too? Here I am carrying this cross. But here's these two other thieves, robbers, actually revolutionaries. They come out to a place called the Skull. Just north of Jerusalem is a small hill that literally looks like a skull. It's on a main road that back then went from Jerusalem up to Damascus in Syria. And oftentimes when they crucified people, they would crucify them literally along the side of the road so that the crowds could see it and be afraid. And while we oftentimes see Jesus as being carried up on a hill, we even sing a song, On a hill, far away my knowledge, I can't find Jesus ever having been crucified on a hill. He was simply taken to a place called the skull, and I think he probably were, was crucified in front of it, not on top of it. 
But whether he was on top or in front of it, here he is crucified. And you can imagine the scene as Simon finally drops that big crossbeam. And they quickly take Jesus and the other true criminals. They drop theirs and they quickly take them. And the Roman soldiers begin to nail their hands into those crossbeams, lifting them up onto the poles that were setting up so that they could be crucified, nailing their feet to that horizontal bar. And so you've got to ask a question. Did he stay? Did he stay? Did Simon drop the bar and think, I've got to get out of here, I've got to get a lamb killed? Or did he linger? It's fascinating what quickly happened. As they lift Jesus up, Luke says that he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Was Simon there? Was Simon there as they began to cast lots for his clothes that they had stripped off of him to humiliate him? Was Simon there? Did Simon hear the people as they walked by? Begin to jeer. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah. And don't you know if Simon is there and he hears that, he's thinking, the Christ? He speaks Greek, by the way. Christos. Is this the Christ? I mean, the Christ is not crucified, is he? And yet he listens as they begin to mock him. They come and they offer him wine vinegar. If you're the king of the Jews. King of the Jews? Wow. Did he see it? Did he see the notice that was written over his head? This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Written in the three languages of the day. Did Simon see it? And you've got to ask yourself this question. Did he witness Did he witness the criminals as they're on their crosses and one of them begins to just insult Jesus and say to him, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And the other criminal began to rebuke him. We are here because we deserve this. This man has done nothing. And did he witness as this man says to Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? I have to ask the question, was Simon there in the distance watching, witnessing as Jesus Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Fascinating. Fascinating. And did he feel it? Did he feel it when the darkness came over the land for three hours? I've often wondered what kind of darkness it was. Was it a darkness that even a torch couldn't penetrate? That a lamp couldn't, couldn't light it up? Was it a darkness that you could feel if you've ever been in a place where there's absolutely no light? There, it's the eeriest feeling in the world. And I have to wonder, did it stop Jerusalem in its tracks? I mean, the animals up at the temple, what were they doing when all at once the sun refused to shine? What, what did everyone Did they just pause? Did they think, where in the world? What am I going to do? How long is it going to last? Was he there? Did he feel it? Did he know? As the three hours came to an end and the ground began to shake and the curtain of the temple was torn in two and Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Did he know that at that moment Simon of Serene's sins 
were being paid for. Did he know? What were the odds? Coincidence? Happenstance? I love Mark's gospel. I left something out a while ago. I don't know if you noticed a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, dot, dot, dot. I left something out. I left it out because it kind of gives us an insight that most of us may have overlooked. You see, Mark is writing Peter's gospel from Rome to the Roman people. And when he writes it, he mentions someone. He mentions two names. I think of back when I used to go see my mom and dad. I would go to see them and mom would say, hey, by the way, you know, uh, a lady that lived next to us, Miss Lindsay, passed away last week. Miss Lindsay, who's Miss Lindsay? Oh, you know, uh, she had the two girls and she had named, oh, that's who they are. You see, when, when you go back home to visit, you sometimes get, okay, if you tell me who the children's names are, I'll get it. Watch what happens in Mark's gospel when you have the three dots there. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Why include those names? What's Mark doing? What's the Holy Spirit doing? And what's fascinating is that if you turn over to Paul's letter to the Romans, interesting, to Rome, Paul greets someone in chapter 16. Watch what he says. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. What? Yeah. And by the way, his mother too has been a mother to me. I mean, how did this story of Simon of Serene make it so widely throughout the church? Is it because this Simon, after seeing and hearing and witnessing and feeling was there on Pentecost to respond to the gospel and to become a follower of Jesus. He had started when Jesus was crucified. And I can't help but think when he says Rufus was chosen in the Lord that he wasn't talking just about Rufus. He was talking about Rufus's family. And so you have to ask yourself again, what were the odds? Coincidence? Happenstance? And so I offer the invitation this way. What's the odds that you're here today by accident? What's the odds that today is simply coincidence for you? I mean, is it just happenstance that you're hearing a sermon, experiencing worship service, going to Bible classes, dedicating babies, dedicating grandchildren? What are the odds that all of this is just an accident? If you want to believe it, you can. I don't believe it for one second. I believe we serve a God who is at work as passionately today as he was 2,000 years ago. And that Simon just didn't happen to be there. But that God, through his foreknowledge and plan, had put him there. And I believe the same is true of you and the same is true of me. The question is, are you going to respond to it? Like Simon of Cyrene, whose two sons, Alexander and Rufus, became leaders in the church. What will you do in your family? And so if today you're not a follower of Jesus, it's time to pick up your cross.
It's time to follow him into the waters of baptism. Why don't you do it right now together?